welcome to another episode of About Pay. Today, we're so excited for our speaker who is going to be going through her life and experience as the CEO and co-founder of a very popular program. She is a six-time New York Times bestselling author with a book that is highly anticipated and releasing this October. Welcome, Melissa Urban, who is the co-founder of Whole30. Hi, Melissa. It's so great to meet you. Hi, Caitlin. Thanks so much for having me. Great to talk to you, too. I uh, love Whole30. My friends were all on that. You know, I think all of us have done it at one or two or three times in our life. So I would love to learn, uh, you know, just a bit about you. A lot of people probably know of your program, but if you want to give a preview um, of what your system is, or I can do an explanation, but would love to hear from you. Yeah, of course. So you can think of the Whole30 like a 30-day self-experiment designed to teach you how foods work for you in your unique context. So we're not a weight loss program. We're not even a prescriptive diet in that we don't tell you what you should or should not be eating. Instead, we're based on the science of an elimination diet with lots and lots of behavior science and habit research built in. And you'll essentially eliminate foods for 30 days that can be problematic, commonly problematic, and then reintroduce those foods one at a time, very carefully and systematically, like a scientific experiment, and compare your experience. So the program really is designed to help you figure out and identify food sensitivities, change your habits and emotional relationship with food, and help you craft the perfect long-term sustainable diet for you going forward. I love that. Huge believer. Having done it myself, I can confirm it definitely improved my energy and my sleep. I just felt so much better and happier at the end. So fantastic job with that. Um, and obviously, you know, I would love to keep talking and I would probably love a side conversation just about that topic of health and wellness and all of that. But with About Pay, we lean into a lot of topics on compensation, which has a unique lens, I think. And today, I think leaning into the themes and the ways that Whole30 is that this systemic program is to help turn your life around by not just addressing the problem with a Band-Aid, but to get to the root cause, to really pull out the issues that are core to the issue. Uh, that to me really resonated because with Pequity, we lean into that with pay equity and making sure there's a system in place to prevent these pay disparities from happening. But before we dive into all the nitty gritty and talk about your new book, The Book of Boundaries, I would love to open with the question we're opening for all of our guests and just ask you, what was your first paying job? I babysat. So when I was maybe 12 years old, I had this really large Catholic Portuguese family. There were lots of kids and most of them were significantly younger than I was. So I babysat for the neighborhood kids because we had oh, kids in our neighborhood and we were all really close. I babysat for relatives and they would pay me. I mean, it might've been, I don't know, three bucks an hour, five bucks an hour. <laughs> this was like back in the eighties. Um, That's a good wage back then. <laughs> it was a decent wage from what I recall. And also I was like 11. So what was I doing with this? Except like walking to the corner store to like buy candy that my parents didn't usually let me eat. But oh yeah, I remember being so pumped that they were paying me to do something that I thought was really fun. I got to hang out and play with kids. Um, so that was my first like real paying job. Oh my goodness. That is Amazing. I feel like that's very relatable for most people. Uh, it's your first taste of freedom and what it is to be compensated. Yeah. Uh, and would love to know, you know, after that, obviously one topic that we talk a ton about 
and I think will probably come up later in this as well when we talk about boundaries, um, is negotiation. And for a lot of people, what was their first negotiation experience like? We all have this like very fond memory of our first job, our first role, uh, where we didn't even know usually that we could negotiate, like that was a thing. So I'd love to hear, you know, what was your first experience negotiating or going in for a higher pay package than what was offered? I'll be honest, I don't think I ever negotiated for a higher salary at any full-time oh, job I ever had. I've been doing Whole30 full-time since 2010. Before yeah. that, I worked for 10 years for an insurance company, which if you can imagine an industry that is incredibly caught up in like red tape and precedent and needing yeah. to go through like 18 <laughs> different levels to get anything done, that was the industry. And I've always had paying jobs. I've always worked. I worked, yeah. you know, part-time all through college, but I never negotiated for a salary. I was, oh, wow. I either didn't know that I could, which I think was a huge part of the experience, or I was just met with such resistance. These are the pay bands for your role. Mm. And this is what we can do. What I did do, however, was negotiate for other benefits and perks. So when I worked Ooh. at my insurance company a few years into my journey, I was promoted from an executive assistant to the manager of a small department. I worked my way up and I wanted to go back to school to get my degree. I had to leave school early the first time around because of my drug addiction. That's another story. But I wanted to go back and get my degree. Mm. And they said, you know, yes, you can go back. We offer tuition reimbursement here you know, are the hours, but we're not going to be able to promote you to manager if you're not able to sort of come, you know, work full time. And I essentially negotiated, if you will let me work 30 hours a week, and I go to school, mostly full time. And I tell you, like, I am going to do a fantastic job for you. And I will meet all of my KPIs and goals, you have to give me the opportunity to try And my boss was like, Okay, let's see it get done. So I was able to negotiate in some sense and I was very successful in that, but salary was not ever something that I asked for more money. It's interesting you say that because a lot of times, um, I think that salary and equity or, you know, whatever it is that your company offers is the number one leaning in point that people assume you negotiate on. But my favorite thing to tell people is that there is so much more, you know, depending Mm -hmm. on your life and what you need. And to you, you know, at that time you wanted to have this education, you wanted this opportunity and you went for it. And that probably had more monetary value than having a, you know, five to 10% pay bump. And that's a real trade-off people have to discuss. So I love that example and hope our audience takes that away and remembers like you can negotiate for more than just money. Yes. I also um, negotiated for a different, uh, you know, I want to come in at 7am and I want to leave by 4pm to accommodate my school schedule. And they were like, okay. So I found other things to negotiate for. And that let me be successful. That is very progressive. And I love to yeah. hear that. And I, you know, that leans into, I'd love to talk about this new book that you have coming out on October 11th this year. Would you like to tell us a little bit more about it? I've read a little bit of the synopsis that I'd love to dig into. Yeah, I have a book coming out October 11th called The Book of Boundaries, Set the Limits That Will Set You Free. And it's all about establishing a healthy boundary practice in every relationship in your life. So maybe it's with parents or grandparents or in-laws, friends, neighbors, boundaries in the workplace, of course. That's the chapter that I open with in the book. But it also includes boundaries with yourself. 
boundaries mm-hmm. with total strangers around conversation topics that you may not want to engage in. So it's a pretty robust framework that I've started developing more than 12 years ago when I co-founded the Whole30 and have continued outside of just food and drink into yeah. other areas for people. Yeah. I love that because, you know, we're in this world now where we have pay transparency, there's quiet quitting, all of these things that I think are actually itching or scratching the surface of this concept of boundaries, right? It's like, what boundary can a company put on their own data and what they share to employees? And is that a boundary that employees should push back on? Should they have access to pay transparency? And then similarly with the quiet quitting world of, I come in, I just do my job. I don't go above and beyond. And that is a bit of a boundary setting for these individuals. Would love to know your take on those trends. And, you know, was that something that helped influence this book where you were like, this is the time to publish it? Yeah, I think, you know, this really came to a head in the prime of the pandemic in early 2020, when we all discovered that we had no boundaries when Mm -hmm. work and home and kids and school and housework and relationships like all piled on top of each other. Mm -hmm. And the shaky boundaries that we had in place certainly weren't enough to help us succeed in this brand new pandemic environment. So that's when this really came to a fine point. And I think a lot of people recognized that they really needed help, help, you know, setting healthy boundaries in every area of their life. The quiet quitting, which is so popular in this moment, is just another example of the systemic issue that you talked about earlier, which is our workplace cultures are not healthy. We do not have boundaries modeled for us. We do not have boundaries demonstrated by executives and people in leadership, right? They might say Mm. we value a work-life culture, a healthy work-life balance, but their behaviors are not demonstrating that when they're answering emails sick at home or, you know, calling (laughs) into calls from vacation. And so because of this lack of boundaries, employees feel like they, there's also a power dynamic at play at work where it's hard to set a boundary with somebody who is your boss, where your job depends, you know, your, your livelihood depends on you keeping this job. So you have all these factors in place, but when people say they're quiet quitting, what they really mean is I demand a fair exchange of labor for value. And I don't feel like I'm getting that in this environment. And this is my way of saying this work environment is not healthy or sustainable for me. And so really what's happening is they are finally starting to set healthy boundaries around their work time, their personal time, their their Mm -hmm. workspace, their ethics, or their values in a way that I think is really healthy. They're just calling it something different. It might sound weird, I think, coming from an HR and comp professional where I think people perceive most of my uh, peers as like the time trackers or the police of the organization. But I really firmly agree that it's okay to set boundaries. I think that um, a concept that may have leaked down. Like, I don't know where it originated, but I, you know, I worked at Google previously. And so I remember this concept of being above and beyond and we only hire the best and brightest and we expect you to go beyond the working hours. Right. And that, you know, Google pays very well. So that maybe is fine for them to do. They have all the perks you're on the campus all the time. But I think that the concept of the above and beyond worker may have trickled down because we are a very type A personality society. Um, I think that it sounds glamorous to be the top performer and to be like the one who went above and beyond expectations, but there's this very 
real reality of if I'm an hourly worker, you know, and I'm a call center employee, it's, it's not that it's not important. I don't want to frame that at all, but it's one where it's difficult to separate yourself necessarily and be the above and beyond without extreme personal cost, you know, without staying after hours to make 50 more phone calls that just Mm -hmm. get you a gold star, but it's not actually driving to your point, more value to your life. It's actually detracting and taking away from personal life. I sometimes wonder if that's where this comes from. And honestly, you know, something uh, my co-founder I talk about is it's just kind of bad branding in a way to call it quiet quitting. Cause I don't think they're quitting. They're just, Mm. just boundaries, right? It's just a little bit of a pushback. (laughs) Honestly, this comes from capitalism, right? Oh, yes. This is capitalism. It is a system in which, and I say this in the book, people will take as much as you are willing to give. And that is even more true in the workplace. And it's not necessarily like a bad thing. It's just human nature. But once you recognize that, you realize that you have to be the one to set boundaries and limits. And, you know, in a healthy workplace culture in which it's not just about how much I'm paid, because if I'm paid at the 99th percentile in my band, yet my um, efforts are not valued. They are not rewarded. Yeah. My boundaries are not respected. It is expected that I go above and beyond. And that becomes the new standard. Like paying someone is not enough to make up for that toxic workplace culture. So yes, if boundaries are modeled and respected, if employees efforts are valued and recognized in a variety of compassions, uh, in a variety of, of ways, if we are, you know, showing employees compassion, if we are offering a variety of benefits and perks outside of just salary, then in a busy period during a special project, when we do say, Hey, are you willing to come in on a Saturday? Or we need all hands on deck on this. You know, even though it's like after hours, people are far more likely to go. Yeah. Yeah. I'll help you out. And it feels good because it still feels like the exchange of value for labor is equal. There's some equity I love that you point that out because it is a, you know, it's a frustration when people um, hire comp professionals and bring them in. They're like, solve all my people problems, right? Like just find the pay system that's going to make them happy because that's why they're quitting. And it's, I often tell people pay is just the easy thing to point to. It's the almost blameless scapegoat to be like, oh, well, I left because they weren't paying me enough. But there's usually something more to that story. And these companies, you know, Fang or, you know, Google, Netflix, Apple, Google, I think I said, but Facebook, they all pay top of market and they still have people leave. Right. And that is because not saying they're bad places to work, but there are other reasons that people come into the office outside of compensation. And this boundary setting, I do think is a huge part of it of how well are they respected and treated and valued as an individual. Yes. And different people, value different things. You know, we have a team of about 25. Everybody is remote. Lots of people really value the half day Fridays that we give folks. So summer Fridays, you come in, do a couple hours of work by noon, every Friday, you are fully expected to knock off. Some people really value that. Other people really value their salary band, which we, you know, just did a comp audit and made sure everyone was paid at a higher salary band. So What's, it's also really important to like both A, ask your people what they value and yes. B, offer a variety of benefits, you know, both kind of soft and hard in the, in the literal sense of the form and otherwise, so that everybody feels as though there's something to offer 
in this workplace environment. It's not just that we pay you well, it's that we are looking at this from a very holistic perspective and making sure that you feel well cared for in a variety of areas. And I would love to point out, you know, to that end, um, something I've heard about Whole30, which I thought was fantastic, was that you actually, and you can confirm this, but you pay your candidates for their interview projects. Yes, we started doing this many years ago. If you are going to interview for a role, I mean, basically any role, by the time we're down to five or six candidates, there's a project, a short project we would like you to complete. If it's a social media manager role, we're going to ask you to draft a social media campaign around our made by Whole30 dressing. If it's a copywriter, we're going to ask you to create ad copy 175 words for our Chipotle Whole30 salad bowl. And (laughs) we are going to pay you for your time to do that. So you either send us your hourly rate and we pay that. Or if your hourly rate exceeds what our kind of estimated average is based on industry standards, we'll come back and say, this is the rate that we can offer. But yes, we're going to pay you for your time. Your time is valuable and we're not trying to get free labor out of interview candidates. So that's been a practice we've been doing for a really long time. And I guess it does pleasantly surprise some people, but we feel like that is in our integrity and in in kind of um, alignment with our diversity, equity, and inclusion goals. I love that. Um, I think that when companies do this, it's a really strong signal for candidates of what they can expect when they come in-house. I also think that there is this unfortunate, you know, disparity that exists. We all are aware of the pay gap for males and females. We also know that there's this nefarious one that exists for underrepresented minorities. Um, And it varies by industry by location it's so hard to pin down there's just no silver bullet for this but I think it does start you know talking about the systemic change with little changes like that where if you think of a like someone who maybe is coming from a lower paid role or they're really worried about the impact that this will have on their company and their current existing situation offering them that bit of compensation and a little bit of reassurance that they have value I think one, it gives them money in their pocket, which is helpful because maybe they did take off time from their work to be able to do this. And two, like what a good way to like build confidence in them, you know, to show them like you do have value and people should pay for this. Yeah, absolutely. And I'll tell you, it, it feels crappy to look for a graphic designer and have a bunch of them spend time and energy submitting content to you and then have you only select one. And I've seen mm. far too many companies use the other ones because kind of they have oh, yeah. this language that says like, once you submit it, it's ours and we get to do with it what we want. And I'm like, that just feels crappy. That's not how we want to run our organization. I love that. And, you know, leaning into that a little bit of the pay um, equity that your company believes in. I mean, your brand has a large female following. So I'm sure that the voice that comes from that and the pressure and also being like a female founder, you know, female founder, female founder. There's, I think it's not like weird. I always tell people, I don't really love being called a female founder. Cause I'm like, just a founder, just a CEO. But like, I get that there's this fact that there's not many of us. So it seems so like unicorn ask out in the world and they want to put pressure there. I wonder how, you know, how has that helped influence you? And when it comes to pay parity or to just diversity and inclusion, how has that kind of influenced your journey as a leader? Because I'm sure that that had to have some impact. I mean, yeah, it definitely has. Um, 
I had my son in 2013, so that was about three years into my entrepreneuring journey. And I mean, if that doesn't change everything, right, (laughs) I all of a sudden realized how hard it is to work a full-time job and have a kiddo. And also, I'm a founder. I can set my own hours. I can take as much time off as I need. I worked from home, so I could nurse Mm -hmm. and pump whenever I wanted. Like, I had so many privileges when I had my kid. So that's definitely influenced a lot of the way we run our business. We are a 100% remote team and always have been. There's never been Mm -hmm. an expectation that you need to go into an office. We have flexible working hours because we have people working, you know, across all time zones, but we also have a lot of parents. So Mm -hmm. it's like, Hey, if you want to work for a couple hours in the morning, take a few hours off to hang out with the kiddo, you know, stop working at three because you're picking them up from school. Flexible work hours are certainly key. Obviously, we pay attention to things like pay equity, and we recently did a compensation audit across every single team member, and many folks received substantial raises because we wanted to make sure we were paying at at least the 70% kind of, you know, band wage. Um, We offer 100% paid health insurance, dental and vision and 401k. We've got unlimited paid time off. And unlike most organizations, we actually encourage people to take their time off and we make Love sure that. that they have healthy boundaries around their time off. So there are a lot of things that my own personal journey, of course, has influenced in the way that we run our company. And then as a founder, I am acutely aware of the fact that people watch what I do and they don't listen to what I mm-hmm. say. Like what I do is far more important. So when I'm on vacation, I'm on vacation and I'm not checking in and I'm not, you know, I'm not sending yeah. emails at 11 PM, even when I have an idea and I'm not sending texts on the weekends. And I think there are a lot of things that my own journey and my own experience with, you know, leadership and being a woman and being a mom has influenced in the way we run the organization. I love that. Um, we always joke, Pequity is fully remote and distributed as well. And it came from a similar feeling I had of workplaces are great. Like I, sometimes I miss my office buddies. I miss, you know, the experience of going in, but I think it very realistically limits certain demographics from being able to participate the same way. And that to me just felt completely unfair because I would probably be in that demographic, right? I don't have children now, but I have siblings who have kids. I see how much work that is. I'm like, man, going into an office would not, I don't know how people do it. So shout out to the moms out there who do, but, and dads as well. Well, And from a really early point in time, I recognized like the earliest point in time when we hired our very first person in like 2011, or 2012, I realized that if I limited my job search to Salt Lake City, Utah, which is where I live now, which Mm -hmm. is not particularly diverse, I was incredibly limiting my talent pool. I was never going to be able to embrace like the breadth and depth of talent and, and people that I wanted to. So that was really where like the fully remote thing came in. And of course, when the pandemic hit, we were like, okay, we're golden. We know how to do this. We've always done this, but yeah, there are significant advantages to going remote. Of course, some of the disadvantages are just, you know, you have to work really hard to establish a workplace culture and make sure people stay connected. And our offsite meetings now are certainly bigger and more expensive than they've ever been. But I think it's a more than fair trade-off for the level of talent we've been able to attract. I think that's fantastic. And what I love, you know, from this conversation and from what I've learned about, you know, Whole30 and now this new book that's coming out, you truly seem to have this stance or this perspective on the system, you know, where it's, we want to make sure that it is holistic 
and that all the pieces are operated together. Whereas I do think that a lot of um, programs that exist are very, like I said, the bandage effect. It's like, you'll just go in and do this one thing and that's going to make you like this, you know, move this needle this amount, but it's probably very intense. It's probably not very sustainable, you know, lots of feedback, even in the workplace. When I hear people who are like, we're going to run four comp cycles a year and we're going to do a pay equity audit as all parts of it. And I'm like, isn't that exhausting? Wouldn't you just rather have a system that yeah. incorporated pay parity as part of your every decision? Because that's what equity does. And that is actually how you get to true healthy pay parity, not exhausting your workers with this really ridiculous audit all the time. But I would love to know, like, how did you get to that place where you've come to this kind of um, almost Buddha energy around change and being an impetus for change for people. And now with this boundaries book for, you know, even maybe companies to learn from. Yeah. I mean, to be clear, I am always still working on this myself and we as an organization are always still working on this ourselves, but a lot of this has been influenced by my own personal journey. I mentioned that I am a recovering drug addict mm-hmm. and I was in recovery for a year before I relapsed the first time. And I wow. realized that the reason I relapsed was because I had only put the bandaid on the issue. And the second time I went through recovery, I addressed it systemically. I started setting wow. healthy boundaries. I went back to therapy. I adopted a growth mindset. Like I had to go all the way back to the beginning and change it all. And that's how I was able to be successful. When you take that story and then apply it to the way I went about changing my emotional relationship with food and then making my diet healthy and in, in accordance with my own definition, it was a systemic change. It wasn't a weight loss diet. It wasn't a quick fix. It wasn't a just follow this plan for 30 days. It was no, no, no. Let me go back to the beginning, do a self-experiment and figure out how foods work in my unique system. That was the whole Mm -hmm. 30. Then when you apply that same framework to an organization, I'll take our DEI initiatives, for example. It wasn't just, we're going to have a DEI committee and check off these boxes. It was, how can we as a team think about incorporating diversity, equity, inclusion, and representation into every single decision we make? Mm. And that was how we've been able to really ingrain those concepts into the organization. So I definitely think it's a process. I think a lot of it, of course, comes from like my own personal experiences, but Mm -hmm. I have learned that going back to the beginning sometimes, although it seems maybe harder and more complicated and certainly takes longer. Yeah. That's really the best way to effectuate lasting change. I couldn't agree more. Hope people hear that and they come and ask how to get the lasting change. Uh, I know that we're coming up on time. So want to end on a question that we ask all of our guests as well, which is, is there anyone um, in your space or in the HR space, it could be comp, it could be in the whole 30 world that you would like to shine a spotlight on or that we should know about? My vice president of people and culture, Perla Torero, is just a force to be reckoned with. (laughs) She has such an extensive background in people and culture. She came from Nestle and a variety of really big organizations, but she has stepped into Whole30 and really gone back to how we approach people and culture at the systemic level, at the base level. And she's done so much for our organization in terms of strategic workforce hiring, pay equity, benefits. Um, She goes far beyond what you would consider sort of a typical HR person. And 
she was just promoted to vice president within the org um, after just a year of hiring her. Oh, and wow. we're really thrilled to have her. So Perla is just, we often say like best hire we ever made. We high five ourselves oh. a lot with that one. <laughs> oh man, Perla is going to feel so good when she hears this podcast. As she should. <laughs> Well, thank you so much, Melissa, for joining us today. And as a reminder for everyone, in case you didn't hear, her book is coming out um, this October. Uh, is there anywhere that you would like to tell people they can learn more about this book, Melissa? Absolutely. My website is melissau.com and it's called The Book of Boundaries and it comes out October 11th. It's available for pre-order now. And I am doing a really fun virtual event with Gretchen Rubin, who is a dear oh. friend and fellow author. I know, I'm really excited to chat with her again. We've done a few events in the past and you can find the details for that as well on melissau.com. Thank you, Melissa. And to everyone, please join us again for our next episode to learn more about compensation practices or just get into the brains of some amazing founders and leaders on how they think about pay equity, pay practices, or just good company practices in general. Thanks, Caitlin.